0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I want to remind you once again that uh, next Sunday we will meet at 10 o'clock for our morning service. It will be our last 10 o'clock service for the year, and then we will begin our regular schedule uh, September 8th. And that Sunday, September 8th, our brother Ken Kemper, president of Grace Christian University, will be here to share with us uh, and preach that Sunday morning. Next Sunday, we will finish our series on Jonah that we are going to continue today. And it was a four-week uh, uh, series with four chapters. And so I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3 this morning. And if you're visiting with us, we're going to just do a quick review. Uh, from where we've been, I know people are coming and going this time of year, a lot of vacation travel, which is great. You can enjoy that. So uh, let's have a word of prayer and we'll review our lesson. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We pray for our children now as they continue to meet, as they meet around your word as well. And we pray for your blessing upon them. We thank you so much for our leaders, for those who commit uh, to teach our children and youth on Sundays and Wednesdays, uh, Sunday school, church, youth group. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for that privilege of uh, continuing to hold and uh, have a strong uh, ministry of Christian education at Briam. As we look to your word now, may our hearts be open to your word. May our hearts be open to you and to your word as you speak to our hearts. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been uh, studying our uh, series from Jonah. And uh, just to, I think the best way to just summarize, of course, the big picture is to remember that uh, Jonah was called from Palestine to go to Nineveh to ask them to preach God's word that God would give him uh, the, to repent. Or even just the, the fact that there, the city was going to be destroyed because of their wickedness and their sinfulness and idolatry. And of course, as we saw, instead of doing this, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to that great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up for me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And as we talked about, most Bible scholars believe that Tarshish was over here towards Spain. So the big picture and the big story is easy to remember. Instead of going there, he is going to go as far away as possible, away from the presence of God. He is not going to Nineveh. And we saw from week one, the lessons we learned from week one, uh, as we consider this, is that God's ways are not always our, our ways. There was no reason to help Nineveh repent. They were Israel's uh, most important enemy at this time. And in fact, they are the nation that will destroy the 10 tribes and take them and scatter them all around the world and destroy their cities and pillage and plunder. And uh, they were very atrocious things they did to the people they conquered. There was really no reason that any Jew would want to do this. God's ways are not our ways. He says, go to Nineveh and preach against it. God is God of all the world. Nineveh is, it says here, is a great city. And that, that word means very important, and not, not necessarily the emphasis on the largeness, but the importance of it. And the whole world belongs to God, just as it does today. God is God of all the world. And he's God of, he is the God of all history. Thirdly, that God provides grace and mercy. He is sending a message to Nineveh with the opportunity for them to repent. Last uh, week, lessons from Jonah chapter 2, where the focus is on Jonah's experience inside the large fish, the great fish that swallowed him and where he remained for three days. And as we talked about each week, speculating on the fish and how which size of fish and what fish it was and how it is really pointless. It was a miracle. It's a miracle. And the miracle is, even not so much he was swallowed by a large fish, because this is possible, the miracle, of course, is that he came out of the fish alive, right? That's the miracle. And while he was in the fish, he, he he wrote or gave this psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God, which is really seems to be sort of a combination of thoughts from the psalms. And he writes his own psalm, and after everything is said and done, he writes this down from memory. And we learn from this that knowing God's, word, knowing God's word will always help. He knew God's word in his heart. He was raised in that tradition. He knew the he knew the Psalms. He knew the Torah. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the He knew the traditions that were passed down. And knowing God's word will always help. We will be begin, our, our, like I mentioned in our prayer, our Christian education ministries in a few weeks, including our Wednesday night program. Our wanna Pioneer Girls, our Bible instruction class year two this year, formerly called Confirmation. We will have, our of course, our Sunday school classes for all ages. We still have Sunday school here. We still think it's important because we believe that knowing God's Word, learning God's Word, memorizing God's Word, that having God's Word in our hearts and putting it into action in our lives is always important and will always help. We learn that repentance is always an option. Because as, as we're going to see today, both for, Noah, uh, for Jonah and for Nineveh, repentance is always an option. And it is today as well. We worship a God of new beginnings and second chances. And then finally, God is all present always. I mean, could Jonah have been any further from the presence of God physically? We think of the presence of God in the temple. We think of the presence of God, especially in... In, in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, where maybe he received his call in the temple, because it says he was fleeing from the presence of God. Could he have been physically any further away from the presence of God than in a fish in the ocean, going down in the ocean? I mean, you can't be any further away than that. But God was there, and he knew that. And he, and he communicated, and he talked to God as if God was there. God is all present, all ways. Our lesson today is very easy. All of you can remember this. Who knows? Right? That's a question. Who knows? Who knows? And we will come back to that uh, as we look at this today. So chapter 3, and we the, the transition between the two chapters, you'll notice in the Bible, if you have a newer translation, that... Chapter two from the, after the first sentence, the first line is all poetic, uh, like a psalm, a Hebrew poetry. And then at the very end of it, the narrative then picks up where after he says, salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded a fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry ground. And Jonah is back on dry ground. And we don't know exactly how this happened, but there's Jonah. Where it was, probably where he started from, from Jaffa, from Joppa. He is back on dry ground. He has come back from the dead, if you will. Now, there are several people have asked about, do you think Jonah died? There are those who believe Jonah died. There are Bible commentators who believe that as well. We, it doesn't say he died. And so we have to leave it there. But, And, 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 it's, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later. But for all practical purposes... From any human standpoint, from those sailors, that when that they they saw a miracle, just as those who were in the boat when Jesus came walking in the water and the storm was raging and stopped just like that at His command. These so, these sailors, when they threw Jonah in the water, and the and the storm was raging, the boat was breaking up, and they were seasoned sailors were about to die, and it stopped. They knew it was a miracle. And they went back to shore, and it says they went, and they made vows to God, they made promises to God, and they offered sacrifices to God, to the God of Israel. These were these were not Israelites, these were pagan sailors. But they offered it to God, because they were so in awe of this miracle. And you know, I was thinking about this. You remember how it said that they were hesitant to throw Jonah overboard, even though Jonah said, throw me overboard. I'm not going to Nineveh, just throw me overboard, and you will be saved. And, and they were hesitant. They said, they kept rolling. They said, no, we're not going to do that. They didn't want to anger this God any more than he was already angry, evidently. So I'm, I'm imagining that afterward, and the storm stopped, I would imagine they stuck around to see if they could help if Jonah, because they didn't want this, they didn't want to anger him anymore. Jonah's gone. He doesn't come back to the surface. He is gone. And for all practical purposes, yes, he is dead as far as humans are concerned. He didn't have to actually die, but from their perspective, he was gone, he was dead. They went back, and I'm sure as they went and offered their sacrifices and offered their vows, they became public knowledge that what they, these men saw and the miracle that God had performed. Amen. Then, amen. then the Lord, the word of the Lord... Chapter 3 verse 1. Came to Jonah a second time. I wish that, I wish we could have the experience of reading this for the first time. You already know how the story ends, right? Most of you probably know how the story ends. But if you were reading this or hearing this for the very first time, would you expect this? Would you expect God to say, okay Jonah, let's, let's try this again? Or might you expect God to say, Jonah, Okay, you're back, that's fine, but you're not, someone else is going to do this. But the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Quote, go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah has no, uh, options here in terms of editorial privilege. He says, you go there and you tell them what I tell you to tell them. Go. And this time, Jonah goes. Verse three. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh. I just, just want to make sure I'm not sure if I made this clear to you. Uh, over here in modern-day Iraq is actually, you've heard probably heard of the city Mosul today with, with all the the news from the Middle East over the last many years, right? The city of Mosul, and it's across. So it's actually it's actually part of that complex of the city of Mosul. It's across the Tigris River from most of modern Mosul, but it's kind of spread over and into that area as well. But that's where Nineveh is. It's that area of Iraq that you hear so much about today. And this time, Jonah is going to travel from Israel to Iraq. He obeys God, and he's going to do what God has told him to do. Now notice here it says, Nineveh was a very large city. We already saw that it was a great city, meaning uh, Gadol. It's very large. It's a great city, and but I also want you to notice that um, you you may have a note in your Bible that says, uh, "or a city important to God." Do you notice that? Do you see that in your Bible? "Or a city important to God." Now, what's interesting translation-wise, most of your translations say it was a large city or a great city. But the Hebrew there, and want, it actually uses the word Elohim, which is the word for God, right? Elohim, that's that's the word in the Bible that's used for God when it's spelled G-O-D. Elohim is a word that is is translated God, but it also has several meanings. It can also mean very great, and God is very great. And so the translators at first pass, kind of taken that it was a great city. But most of the Hebrew scholars will point out that it probably means it was a city that was great to God. That's why that note is there. It says, La Elohim, to God. It was a city that was great to God. Why is the city great to God? It's great to God. Why? Because He is the God of all people. All ethnicities. All nations. He is the God of everyone. And this, and He is concerned about this city. It is a, it is great to His heart. Uh, uh, these people are wicked. They, 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 they are, they are atrocious in how they treat their enemies. But this is, but, but God's love is, is for all. And it's great to God. And I want you to notice that. If you see that note in your Bible, that's why it says that. That's probably the literal translation. Now, Nineveh was a city great to God. And I think we could say that about every city and every people today. God is the God of all the world. And, he, and His offer of hope and salvation is for everyone. It was a city great to God. And Jonah goes there. And it says there that it took three days to go all through the city of Nineveh. It took three days to go to the city. Now, this also is a matter of kind of interpretation because it wouldn't take you three days to walk from one end to the other or even to walk around it. We pretty well know how big these cities were for the most part. They were large cities They had big gates, like this is sort of a reconstruction, and these cities all had these huge gates that you would walk through. It's kind of like if you've been to the zoo, and you walk through the aviaries where the birds are, and you go through one door, and you close it, and you go through another door, right, so the birds don't follow you out. And these gates like this are like this. You go in one door, you don't just go in the city, you're there stuck to make sure you're not an enemy, and that you're not coming to cause trouble. And then you go through these huge gates, these huge walls, but even at that, the three days, and, and culturally, what it seems to mean is really two best options. One is culturally, if you were going to do business in Nineveh, you would get there, and your first day, you would go into the city, and there would be the cultural greetings and uh, welcome and announcements and so on. Then you would do your business the second day, your transactions and so on, and then you, the third day is the day you leave. And so it could mean it's like a three-day, it's a three-day city. Okay, where's Casey? Are you here today? Uh, we used to go for walks with Casey when she used to come to our house and she liked to tell these stories. You know, she's very... And uh, finally one day said, Casey, is this a two-block or a three-block story? All right, remember that? Okay, <laughs> it was a three-block story. Okay, this is a three-day city, all right? It's a three-day city. Or maybe it meant it would take you three days to get throughout the whole city and talk to everybody. Either way... There's, it's a three day city. And it says that Jonah went into this city for, for the three days. And look at verse four. Jonah started into the city going a day's journey. One day. It's a three day city. And he goes in one day and he proclaimed this. And this is his message. God says, you tell them what I tell. Them. You notice it doesn't even say anything about repentance. All it says is this is his message. 40 days, 40 days, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's his message. 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 40 days. That's it. It doesn't say there's a chance. It just is, listen, you got 40 days, and this city is going to be overthrown by God. This is a foreign person. This is an Israelite. Who comes to the most powerful city on earth? Maybe at this time, and 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 he comes in and and he in a dangerous situation, and he just simply announces, "You have forty days, and this city is going to be overthrown." Now, it's interesting. Here's another little kind of ambiguity and ambiguity and tension in the Hebrew language. Overthrown can mean exactly what it sounds like: destroyed. I mean, if, if I said this this building is going to be overthrown tomorrow. Um, that would be frightening to think it would be overthrown and destroyed. The word also can mean turned around. It's, it's, it's like every language. Hebrew has that flexibility. And the idea of overthrown can be overturned and turned around. And so most several of the commentators noted this. There's sort of an am, am, this, this, some ambiguousness in this word here. That the city could be overthrown or it could be in 40 days turned around. and might hint at Repentance. And maybe both are there for a reason. But that's his message. That's the prophecy. That's it. Day one of a three-day journey. And that's all he says. And of course, you have this amazing response. Look what we see here. Day one. He hasn't even even got a chance to get to day two yet. Day one. He just opens his mouth and, and shouts out, 40 more days in Nineveh. Will be destroyed. And the Nineveh, Ninevites believed God. You notice it doesn't say believe Jonah. The Ninevites believed God. And it's interesting again. I don't mean to give you so much Hebrew lessons here today. But it's interesting here the word. The word is vaya amenu. Vaya amen amenu. Amen, amen, we say it all the time, right? What does the word amen mean? The word amen means, so be it, I agree. Abraham believed God and what? It was counted to him as righteousness. He said amen. And that's what it says here. The people just said, yes, we agree with you. We agree. We agree. We believe. Amen, Jonah. And look what it says, they declared a fast. And all of the, now you notice this, the people, the, the people just hear this message and they declare a fast. I mean, they aren't going to eat. And they declare a fast from the greatest to the least. They put on sackcloth. And if you've read any of the Old Testament, you know this is a sign of of repentance and mourning to put on sackcloth. Take off your garments and you put on sackcloth. You put dust on your head. And you, and you, and you, and you, everybody knows you're, you're mourning. You're, you're, you're repenting. And they put on sackcloth as a sign of repentance. All the people put on the sackcloth. And then you'll notice what it says here. Let's read this now. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his, the king of Nineveh took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth. He sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, any animal, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast... Boy, what a sight that must have been. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently... On God, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. I mean, think of this. Come on, use your imagination. Think of this scene. This whole city of well over 100,000 people and all the animals. The king, first it comes to the people and they agree. Then it comes to the king and he agrees. And he is an example to his people gets off his throne, takes off his robes, puts on sackcloth, sits in ashes and dust, humiliates himself. And he says, animals and people alike. I don't know about you, but our little dog, like both the dogs you've had, the one before this one and this dog, the one back back before that probably didn't care. But the last one, a big dog and small dog, they hate having anything around them. You know, even, you know, we go through this ritual every day, we take Phoebe for a walk and we have to, put her little leash on, it's so like a halter type thing, and she'll just stand there frozen, like and try to keep her feet from going in there, right? She hates having anything on her. The animals are all covered with sackcloth. I mean, it's almost a little bit of a, if you don't mind me saying, a little bit of a humorous scene. I mean, all these animals covered in sackcloth, all the people covered in sackcloth, nobody eating or drinking, the fair is going on this time of year. Can you imagine if you went to the Monroe Fair today or the Piala Fair next week? If you went there and you went into the cattle barn and there was no food or drink for those animals for some days, what are you going to hear? What? Yeah, thank you. Has good sound effects there. Okay, only probably about a thousand times higher decibel, right? This whole city, the people are crying out to God, that's what it says they are crying out to God the animals are crying out because they don't know what's going on, all they know is there's no food or water, and you can imagine the cattle and the sheep and the goats bleeding, bleating okay, and the noise and the cacophony of this going up to God from this city and Jonah, I don't know what he's thinking, Jonah's Jonah's, well we know what he's thinking in chapter 4, right, And, and this noise goes up to God. This cacophony goes up to God. And I just, here's what the king says in verse, in verse nine. Who knows? Who knows? There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. Who knows? Maybe God will relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. Who knows? Maybe. Listen, friends, this has got to be the most amazing conversion and, and repentance in, in the history of the world, in the history, at least in the Bible. I mean, think about it. One phrase, 40 more days and this city is going to be overthrown. And the entire city and the king and the animals are crying out to God, begging for his mercy, and, and who knows, maybe He will have mercy on us. It's a, th- I guess maybe this is the biggest miracle in Jonah, right? Now, we need to stop here. And, and, but and also, why, why would they do this, and, and why, would, why is God even given a chance? I just want to remind you of Ezekiel chapter 18. God says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God, I left something out there. Might they turn turn then and live? No, that's right. Turn then and live. It's a proclamation to him from his prophet Ezekiel, a later prophet. I have have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. Turn then, repent, and live. That's in the Bible. That's God saying that. God does not take pleasure like sometimes we might When enemies are overcome, God says, I don't take pleasure in anybody dying like that. My my love is such that they would repent and change and live. That's the God we worship. That's the God that we worship. He is the God of all the world. He was the God of Nineveh, a city great to Him. And His desire, His desire is that they would repent and they would be spared. Now we need to stop here for a minute. And we need to go to Matthew chapter 12. I need to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 42. Because this story of Noah, Jonah, sorry, I keep saying Noah, of Jonah is a very, very important connection with the story of salvation in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 12, and you have to t- you could take some time and read the con the context of the criticism that he is receiving Jesus is receiving from the Pharisees and scribes and in the midst of this uh and this is important this is this important passage um where they uh, you know accuse him of being even demonic and 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 look at it says here in verse 38 then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him teacher We want to see a miraculous sign from you. Well, he's been doing a lot of miracles. He's been doing a lot of miracles. But they want to see something really spectacular. We we want to know. God says the Jews have a right to ask for signs. We, We want to see something from you that proves you are the Messiah. And look what he says. A wicked... An adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, and in the Hebrew reckoning, all the Bible scholars will tell you any part of a day is part of that 24-hour period. So those who try to connect with Jesus in three 24 hours in the tomb and so on, any part of a day counts in Hebrew reckoning as it does today. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah is here. The sign of Jonah. You see, what the, the sign that Jesus is talking about is obviously what? What is the sign? He says, you're not going to get any sign, any more sign. But this one, the sign of what? The resurrection. It hasn't happened yet. But he is telling them, you will get this sign. And this will be the decision point you will have to decide on to, to change your heart and to change your mind about what you're saying about me. And and many of them did. We see in the book of Acts, it says many of the priests and the rabbis came to Christ. It says not just a few. And he says to them, this is the only sign you're going to get. As Jonah was assigned to Nineveh. And I want to suggest to you, Again, all we can suggest, we, we don't, you know, we can't say any more than what it says. But Jonah, Jesus says Jonah himself was the sign. The, mess, the message didn't have to be very long. It was pretty straightforward and pretty simple. The sign was Jonah. You see, I believe Jonah's history and Jonah's story, if you will, got there before he did. I think that when Jonah came back and showed up on that shore in Palestine and all of a sudden walked into town, he was dead. I mean, he was dead. He had drowned. Everybody knew he had drowned. The story had to have been spread by these sailors. He was dead. And here he was. Some commentators even suggest that being three days in the belly of a fish that the enzymes would have bleached his skin and he was white and looked like a ghost. I think I think Jay Siddle Baxter taught that from his pulpit when he was here back in the '60s and and taught here. Um, I don't know. It doesn't say that, so we'll have to let that one go, leave it where it is. But he is a sign. So obviously, Jonah's story got there before he did, and the message of his coming probably got there before he did, and probably the word was spread throughout that city. Jonah is coming. This God is so powerful, His God is so powerful that He's come back from the dead. We know He was drowned. He's here. And all of a sudden, there He is. And all He has to do is open His mouth and say 40 days and this city is going to be overthrown and people repent. Why? Because He was the sign. He was the sign. It's interesting. I want, if you compare this to some of Israel's own history, if if you go to, to Jeremiah, and you, you'll see this how, how this works out in Jeremiah chapter 36. This is well after the time of, of Jonah. This is after the time of, of the destruction of, of, of Jerusalem. But in Jeremiah chapter 36, you got this account of Jeremiah trying to give the message to his people. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll. Write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations. All the other nations, again, not just Israel and Judah, but everybody, from the time I begin to speak to you in the reign of Josiah to now. Perhaps, who knows? When the translation says, "Who knows?" When the people of Judah hear about the disaster I planned and inflict on them, they will turn from their wicked way. I will forgive their and I will forgive their wickedness. And there's sin. And so Barak is given this job of taking his scroll. And the people respond and the people begin to fast. But I want you to notice the response of the king. Verse 20. They put the scroll in the room of Elishama the secretary. They went to the king in the courtyard. They reported everything to him. And the king sent to Jehuda to get the scroll. He brought it from the room of Elishama the secretary, read the king and all the officials standing before him. The ninth month and the king was sitting in his winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. And when they read the four columns of scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife, threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned up with fire. The king of Judah, he took the word of God. And God said, I will give them a chance. Who knows? Perhaps they'll respond. And the king takes it and throws it in the fire. But the king of Nineveh took off his royal robes and sat in ashes and sackcloth and repented. Because Jonah was the sign. Jonah was the sign from God. He is back from the dead. His God is so powerful. Who knows? Who knows, the king says. Well, let's finish the story. Who knows? There's no guarantee. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned, the city will be overthrown or turned around. When God saw how they turned from their evil ways, their violence, their violence, He had compassion And he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Who knows? Who knows? God was everything we're going to see next week that Jonah feared he would be. (laughs) And God was everything that the Ninevites could hope for. Who knows? Now I want to conclude with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Lord Jesus Christ said, no sign will be given except this, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, and he became a sign, likewise the Son of Man will be three days, three nights in the earth. And he predicted this. No one could have fathomed what he was talking about, but he predicted this. And friends, I just want to remind us today that, you know, it, it's so easy sometimes. I mean, you know, I've, I've grown up in a church. I've, I've grown up in this church. This is my church home. And some of the things that we talk about and we proclaim and so forth, we, we kind of take for granted. And pretty soon they just become normal and natural. We just talk about these things. But I just want to remind you today of this very essential part of our Christian story and our message to the world. This is what the Lord said. This is the only sign you're going to get. You can rise and fall on this one. And in chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, Now listen, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news I preach to you. This is the Corinthians Jew and Gentile. Pagan city. I preach to you what you received. On which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For I have received. And I passed on to you as first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 who have fallen asleep. He appeared to James, all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But who knows? Who knows? Possible, Saul of Tarsus. But by the grace of God, I am what is I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Saul of Tarsus encountered the resurrected Lord. Who knows? Who knows? And he believed it. He believed that sign. The sign of Jonah. The sign of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus died. He was in Jerusalem. He may have witnessed the crucifixion. He may have been part of that Sanhedrin. He knew. And he knew what they were proclaiming. But he encountered it. Who knows? And that's our application today. I just want to leave it there. Who knows? Perhaps. Let's never forget. God is God of the entire world. God is compassionate for all. Who knows that the simple message of the love of God for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever. That that sign of the resurrection and the message of Of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has conquered sin and death. And it is for everyone. Do we remember that? Do we have any of this cutting edge of the Christian faith in our lives of of righteousness and and holiness and and justice that's all related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And who knows? Who knows? We are to be faithful, friends. Our faithfulness is first. We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our commitment and our faithfulness and our call is first what He has laid out for us, what He has called us to do. Whether anybody likes it or not, it's what He has called us to do. And He has called us to proclaim the love, grace, and mercy of The message of hope. He is a God of all the world. And who knows? Who knows? It begins in your apartment house, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, in your family. Who knows? Who knows? Who may respond? How you live your life. How you evidence the grace and mercy and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ to everyone. To everyone. Who knows how God may use that for all eternity? Who knows? Amen. Thank you so much. Let's bow our heads in our closing prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we have just sung that uh, that we'd ask you to lead us on in the power of your love. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, his last night with his disciples, has said that uh, by your love for one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And we pray that that uh, power of love that we would show to one another and that we would show to this world. Father, we live in a, in a city, in a metropolitan area that is great to you. It's great to you because you are the God of all people. And you've called us to share your gospel of love and grace to everyone. And Father, I pray that wherever you take us, this day and throughout this week, till we gather again to worship you, that we will be reminded of that. That is what matters the most. May we be examples of this love and mercy and this grace. As the Apostle Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's only the reason that we are here today and can represent you to our community. And if there be a person here today who has never received your forgiveness for sins and the hope of the gospel we've, we've preached this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death. And friend, he offers to you eternal life if you would simply receive that message and trust in him. Who knows? It could be you this day to receive his grace and mercy. We pray this in Christ our Savior's name. We leave and the peace is shalom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people can say together, Amen. Amen.